Highlighting a challenging Bible phrase, here's Pastor Ed Taylor. The Bible teaches, and we believe, that Jesus Christ is eternal. He is the eternal Son of God. He is uncreated. Why? Because He is God. Now remember, the Bible can only communicate in the language that we understand. For us, it's English today. And using the English language, when the phrase having become so much better, we immediately look at the tense of that verb and think, well, wait a minute. Was there ever a time when Jesus wasn't better? This is amazing grace. How do we answer questions and apparent incongruities we sometimes find as we seek to understand what the Bible says or what people say about the Bible? We'll get some help with that today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. That rises to the surface as we continue in the book of Hebrews. This book makes the case that Jesus is better than the angels, using challenging phrases that can be difficult to understand and cults seek to exploit. Here to help us sort through all of this and equip us to provide answers when challenged is Pastor Ed. Take your Bibles, would you, and open to Hebrews chapter 1. If this is your very first day at Calvary Chapel Aurora, we, we go through the Bible together as we have for 18 years. We study verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the books of the Bible, which ultimately will get us through the entirety of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. And the last New Testament book that we have yet to study as a church is this book of Hebrews. So we just started it. If you've never studied a book of the Bible from chapter 1, verse 1 to the very end, then, then you are still in the early stages. You can go back to our app or on our website, and you can grab the studies and just catch up with us as we've had a couple of introductory studies because we ought to know who the book was written to, what the purpose is, the background of the book. As we turn the corner to verse 4, we really looked at these mysterious creatures that are known as angels. And if you weren't with us, we learned so much about how fascinating they are. And we only did a 40-minute you know, Bible study, but I mean, there are books and theologies written on angels. And it thought, you know, this week with all the events of Billy Graham graduating into heaven, one of the best books on the topic of angels was actually written by Billy Graham. And so if angels fascinate you and you're looking for a biblical theology on angels, just go to Amazon. They probably have it in the used book section, uh, maybe even in the new. It's just called Angels by Billy Graham, and fascinating on the insights that the Bible gives us. So we spent some time looking at angels, and now for the rest of the chapter, the theme of chapter 1 in Hebrews is Jesus is greater or more superior or better than the angels. And you ask, why would that even be an issue? Why would we need to learn that Jesus is greater than the angels? Well, remember, Hebrews, the book, was written to a group of Jewish Christians in the first century that were being tempted to leave the simplicity of their relationship with Jesus and go back to the religious system of Judaism. What we would refer to today, the kind of language we would use today is it would be like them leaving this church and going back to following the law. 
and they don't want grace anymore. They want to go back to following the law, which really in many ways, as you'll see in Hebrews, doesn't make sense because if you go back to following the law, the law is pointing to the coming of Messiah. The law is pointing to the fulfillment. The law is pointing to grace and a new covenant. So to leave the new covenant, to go back to the old covenant, puts you in a place of hoping for the new covenant again. So it doesn't make any sense. And that's really the essence of the author to the Hebrews as he writes this. He's laying out point by point by point, both in encouragement and in warning. And the issue with angels in the mind of a New Testament believer, remember, the Bible categorizes people into two people groups, really, Gentiles and Jews. Most everyone in this room would, and listening in, especially in the Western culture, would be considered Gentiles. Now, there might be a few of you that have a Jewish origin and you are Jewish, but for most of us, we are Gentiles. But a careful reading of the scriptures, you'll recall in the book of Acts that most of the early church was Jewish. Why? Because where did the church begin? In Israel. Where, where was the gospel preached? But in Jerusalem. Jesus himself was a Jewish man. And so most of the believers in the early church were Jewish. And they had with them all of the baggage of Judaism that they would bring in. And remember, the, one of the biggest first fights in the early church, remember, was in Acts chapter 15. What was it? When Gentiles started getting saved, there was the question, should we circumcise them? And they argued over it in Acts 15. And praise God that faith won out. And that circumcision, as the Bible teaches, is not necessary to be saved. Can anybody get an amen? Is anybody happy about that? Like I, I'm happy about that. It's not necessary. It's by faith. It's by faith. And so now when you, when you think of this in the book of Hebrews, just understand they're wrestling with this tension between their freedom they have in Christ and religion. Now, most of us are not tempted to go back to Judaism. However, I have to say, and you know this to be true. There are many temptations in your life to leave your simple faith in Jesus Christ and go do something else, go worship something else. I mean, you think of the temptations just in our culture. We could talk about cultural temptations. There's always the temptation of money, success. There is the temptation of wanting to make a name for yourself. Uh, there's the temptation of sexual sin, the party lifestyle. There's the temptation of pornography. There's, there are a lot of things that even if I mention them today, that you're involved in them, you have left the simplicity of your faith in Jesus Christ. The things that you would choose over and above Jesus simply will not get you where you really want to go. It actually is going backwards. And so while you may not be so caught up and, you know, you listen to the Bible today and you go, well, I'm not tempted with angels. I accept that. I agree with you. But what are you tempted with? What is it that's so important to you? Let's think of it in a religious context. One of the most popular religions today is Roman Catholicism. And many of you came from a Roman Catholic background. You have stepped out of Roman Catholicism and that religious system to a simple faith in Jesus Christ. But what did that do? That put you at odds with your family. That put you at odds the way you were raised. See, following the Bible and what it says has this sense of putting you at odds with all of your past. And you know, over time, it's frustrating. You're like, I don't know, my parents don't talk to me anymore. We argue now. I miss the feelings and the smells. And I, I miss the, all of the trappings of Roman Catholicism. And, and maybe I should just go back to it. And the answer is no. God gave you the simplicity of Jesus Christ where you don't follow man anymore. 
And you don't follow religion. You have a personal, vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the background to the people listening to this letter. And why is angels such a big deal? Well, simply, the Jewish people very much respect Moses. And the Jewish people in Judaism very much respect the law. And the Bible says that in the giving of the law from God to man, angels were involved. So those are three very important things in the Jewish heart. The law, Moses, and angels. And so chapter 1, the author Paul, I believe, says, look, Jesus is far superior than the angels. Now for many of you, there's going to be no aha moments in these Bible studies. Probably going to find it at the end. Of course, of course, of course. But whenever we come to Bible study times like this where you already know the information, although I'm going to give you some new things that help you, but you already know the things, don't just dismiss Bible study. Well, I already know that. I already know that. I already know that. Because things that we already know, we need to continually be reminded of. We need to remember, look, angels, as fascinating as they are, they're not better than Jesus. So don't exchange your faith in Jesus Christ to chase after angels, to chase after the spiritual realm, to chase after miracles, and all the things that might take the place of a simple abiding, obedient relationship with Jesus Christ. He's enough, okay? So with all that in mind, think of this. Pick up with me in verse 4. There are three things I want to show you today, and in the next few studies, there are going to be eight total, eight reasons why Jesus is greater than the angels. So in verse 4, well, let's go back to verse 1, just for the sake of uh, the beginning of the chapter. God, who at various times and in different ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets— has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who, verse 3, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. So beginning in verse 4, I want to address this phrase that's tripped up folks for a while, and it's that phrase in verse 4, having become so much better. Because the Bible teaches, and we believe, that Jesus Christ is eternal. He is the eternal Son of God. He is uncreated. Why? Because He is God. But we come to English phrases like this. Now remember, the Bible can only communicate in the language that we understand. For us, it's English today. And using the English language, when the phrase having become so much better, we immediately look at the tense of that verb and think, well, wait a minute. Was there ever a time when Jesus wasn't much better? Now, the answer to that biblically is no. There was never a time in all of human history for all of eternity that Jesus was less than the angels. But the author is making a point to us and drawing us to a point in time that it was verified and validated for all humanity. Jot it down in John chapter 1, verse 14. This is the point in time. Because this phrase, having become so much better, is the same tense and the same grammar used in John chapter 1, verse 14. Let me read it to you. John's gospel, chapter 1, verse 14, describing Jesus, it says, And the Word became flesh 
and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. There was a point in human history where the eternal Son of God became a man. Where did that happen? In the womb of a young girl named Mary. The technical Bible word for that that we refer to is that was the incarnation where God became man. And this is a miraculous thing because God becoming man, Jesus did not lose his deity. He didn't lose being God, but rather took on a human nature to come to our level to live a a perfect life and to die and rise again for the forgiveness of your sins and mine. He came to solve the greatest problem, bridging the gap between man and God. So that when we come back to verse 4, this is a reference to the incarnation. This is a moment in time where God became man and so much better than the angels, the incarnation. Now, notice a few things, because number one, if you're taking notes, of the three points we have today, number one, why is Jesus greater than the angels? Number one, Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Or you can say Jesus possesses deity. He's God. That's one reason. That, and again, isn't that, that's not really an aha moment. It's like, yeah, yeah, that's true. Jesus is God. That puts him in a unique place. God spoke, notice in verse 5, God spoke to Jesus, but not to angels. And he said some unique things. Jesus and Jesus alone, verse 5, is the only begotten one. Verse 6, again, he brings the firstborn into the world. That, that actually is a title of deity. Jesus is the only begotten Son of God who is declared to be the Son of God by the resurrection from the dead. Jot it down. Romans chapter 1, verse 4. Romans chapter 1, verse 4, that Jesus is declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. Jesus is God. Now, I want to teach you something. It's very important because this phrase, turn over to Colossians chapter 1. I want to add a phrase to you. We're going to turn the page a few times. So whether you're flipping on your phone or not, you've got to learn this because I want to equip you for those door knockers that come to your door on Saturday mornings. I don't want you ever, ever to be confused or tripped up by them because they are trained to come to your door on Saturday mornings and confuse you. They are trained to find an area of theology where they can trip you up and make you feel like you don't know what you believe. And it's in that feeling that what we refer to as cultists, that feeling is that they they gain a little bit of your trust as if they know what they're talking about. Let me just say this. Those that come to your door on Saturday morning and bring to you a false gospel and bring to you a false teaching really don't know the Bible. They only know what they were taught to trip you up. And I can show you a few things. One I'm going to show you today. I'm going to give it to you, and then I'm going to quiz you on it. And then maybe in the future, I'm going to do a pop quiz and make sure that you guys understand this because they will use these phrases, begotten and firstborn, to claim falsely that Jesus is created. And they're taking the full weight of simply the English translations. For example, when they use the phrase begotten, They're using the phrase in such a way like you and I experience where our mothers gave birth to us. 
Or you as, par- as moms, you gave birth. You, you, you know, we don't use the phrase today, but it's a Bible word. You, you gave birth to your child so that your child is begotten of you. And they only use that phrase, begotten, in a physical way. And so they say, well, wait a minute. It says Jesus was born. He was created. Same with firstborn. Now, if you're not careful, you'll use the phrase the same way. When you think of firstborn, no doubt, if you have multiple kids in your, in your home, you'll refer to the oldest as what? Firstborn. I mean, that's, that's natural, and that's an okay use of that. And it simply re- refers to, in the physical, it simply refers to the first in your family that's born. But when it's used in the Bible, it's not always used that way. And one of the ways that it's not used is when it refers to Jesus Christ. When this word is used to refer to Jesus Christ, it is not speaking of birth order. But rather, you can circle the word, if you have Hebrews and Colossians open together, you can circle the word and you can write next to it preeminent or first in priority, not necessarily first created. Like you refer to your kids. You know, Marie and I have three children. We refer to Eddie as our firstborn. And when we mean that, we use the first one created. But that's not the word that's being used to describe Jesus Christ. It's not a, or, it's not a point in time of created. This is not a word of chronology when it refers to Jesus, but one of priority. And you see it again in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. It's another place they will take you. They'll take you to Hebrews, and they'll take you to Colossians 1, and they'll say, well, it says right here that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And what they will say, primarily to Jehovah Witnesses, they will come and say that this is a verse that says that Jesus was born first, created first over all creation. It doesn't mean that. Turn over to Jeremiah chapter 31. Let me show you. This word doesn't always refer to physically created beings firstborn. And so whenever you were studying the Bible, context is everything. So that they take you to Colossians and say, well, look at this. Jesus is created. And you go, well, show me in the Bible where that is. So they open up their Bible, which, by the way, is falsely translated in many places. But they open it up and say, well, right here, Colossians chapter 1 says that he's the firstborn of all creation. And so your response to them is... So you're saying that word means he was born first, he was created first. Yes, that's exactly what it means. And so you would say next. That means everywhere this word is used in the Bible refers to born first and created first, right? Well, of course it does, they will say. Why? Because they don't know their Bibles. So Jeremiah chapter 31, let me show you. This one verse will blow them out of the water. This one truth, because it is true. This one place in Jeremiah chapter 31, I want you to notice with me verse 9. Jeremiah 31, verse 9. So this is where you put little marks in your Bible. That's why the iPad and everything, all the, tech, all the digital things don't help too much because they're hard to take notes in. This is where you make your own cross-references in your own paper Bible, and you use them at your doorstep because you need to know your Bible. You are in a church that teaches the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. You're in a church that if you have a Bible question and you know where the address is, like you have a Bible question on this book of the Bible, that book of the Bible, you can actually go to our website. I taught on it most likely to answer that question in a Bible study. Like you and I, we should know our Bibles. We should know just the very basic, simple, foundational truths of our Bibles so that when a cultist comes that's been specifically trained to confuse you, And let me just say, has anyone ever felt confused talking to someone about the Bible? Yes or no? Yes. I mean, a cult of suspect. Listen, I've been reading the Bible and studying the Bible. This is my life for the last 27 plus years. That's been my life. And I still get flustered. 
there are times where I still get flustered where either, you know, I'm tired or I'm not tracking. And then, you know, one of those times where they're on their door and you're just like, hey, look, you know, eventually if you get all flustered, here's your answer. If you get all flustered at your front door and, and just to avoid being confused, just say, you know what, I love Jesus. I may not understand all your confusing things right now, but I love Jesus. Leave and then just close the door. You go, how can you do that? Because they're cultists trying to rip you off. Like if somebody came to your door and said, can I steal your TV? Oh, come on in, steal my TV. Take my computer too. And here's a glass of milk on your way. No, no, you don't do that. And so it's okay if you feel flustered because, you know, many times you feel flustered and then about a half hour later, the answer comes. And you're like, it's too late. It's too late. You can't chase them down the street. I mean, I guess you could. We did that for many years. We'd follow them down the street until they left our block. And we'd just go right up behind them. I remember one time in California, I had Eddie with me, and we were driving down the street, and I just felt in one of those moods that morning, and I saw them on a, uh, we were getting donuts or something, and you know, my kids just, Eddie just want to go home and eat the donuts, but I'm like, no, no, let's leave the donuts in the back seat, and let's go follow them. And we did, and they got very mad. You know, that's not the most effective way, <laughs> but it was fun in the moment. So if somebody comes to your door and says, Jesus was created, and you say, no way. Show me, prove to me. Put them on, put it back on them. They open up to Colossians 1.15. They open up to Hebrews chapter 1. And they go, well, it says right here. And, and so you're saying, hey, firstborn always means first created. Yes, always in the Bible means first created. You say, really? Well, let's take and go over to Jeremiah 31 verse 9. Let's read it together. Jeremiah 31 verse 9. It says, they shall come with weeping and with supplications I'll lead them. I will cause them to walk by the rivers of waters in a straight way in which they shall not stumble. Because I'm a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my, what does your Bible say? Firstborn. Ephraim is my firstborn. Can I ask you a question? Was Ephraim born first, yes or no? No, for you Bible students, who was born first? Anybody say, yell it loud. Manasseh. Jot it down. It's just simple truth. Just as you read your Bible, it's very simple. Manasseh was born first. So if we're using the word firstborn, it goes to Manasseh, not to Ephraim. But God is making a point here. God is making a point to us that he appoints and ordains this idea of priority. It's priority. Ephraim has a more important place than Manasseh. Jesus, when he's referred to firstborn, isn't saying he's created. He is preeminent. He's preeminent. So, Let's go through the quiz. You ready? Pop quiz. Was Jesus created? Yes or no? no? No. And so where would you take somebody to show them that firstborn does not refer to order of birth? Jeremiah 31. What verse? 9. So we get to Jeremiah 31, 9, and you read it to someone, and it says, hey, look, look, Ephraim, Ephraim is my firstborn. Is Ephraim firstborn? Who's firstborn? Bam. Everybody gets an A+. Plus. Everybody gets an A+. Plus. <laughs> it just struck me recently in a couple weeks. Check this out. This punk from Southern California, me, I'm speaking to me, not you, me, <laughs> that barely made it out of high school, barely made it out of high school, barely graduated, got my little certificate, took me 15 years to finally finish my associate's degree in theology after 15 years of pastoring a church. I finally got my little certificate on the wall that says I'm a, I'm a degreed person. I have my little associate's degree right there on my wall. 
I'm going to California in two weeks and actually teaching a class at Bible College. There is more to this personal story and the reason for telling it. And we'll hear about it next time when Pastor Ed Taylor returns to Hebrews. In part, it's to illustrate how the Lord can turn a life around and make it useful and fruitful. This is Abounding Grace. Are you interested in hearing this again? If so, drop by AboundingGraceRadio.com. Another way to listen to Ed's teachings is through the Calvary Aurora app. Search for Calvary Aurora or listen to us through Apple Podcasts. Wouldn't you like to experience revival and power in your life? Well, we picked out an excellent book this month that can help you get on that road. It's The Calvary Road by Roy Hessian. This classic book has helped millions experience personal revival with Jesus Christ. When you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of The Calvary Road. Give us a call at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Glad you've taken time out for our study in Hebrews. Join Pastor Ed Taylor all week long as we continue to learn how to live by God's abounding grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. 